Well, I don't know how many of you were here last Sunday. I was not. I was out of town with my wife. We spent five days on a mini vacation. It was great. Just us. No kids. It was wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I listened to Steve's message online twice because I thought it was so good. So if you weren't here last Sunday, you got to go and listen to, to Steve what he talked about putting the extra in ordinary. And I'm just going to give you two of my takeaways, all right? One of them was that God's will is always more relational than rational. So he was talking about, because he was mentioning Paul being in prison. And as Paul's in prison, what is he doing? He's not like, oh, shoot, dang it, why am I in prison? He's singing hymns to God and worshiping God at midnight. And an earthquake comes, and I'll be like, God rescued me. Let's get out of here. And Paul's like, no, don't anybody go anywhere because the jailer might kill himself if we leave. Let's minister to the jailer now. Right? So, so there's a relationship side of God that sometimes I'm, I like to be rational. Right? I'm an engineer, and God we trust. All others must bring data. Right? Let's be rational. Let's understand things like logically. God isn't always logical like you and I would count logical. Right? God goes beyond that. And I've learned over time, i got to put my intellect aside so I can come to God. God works through our intellect, of course, but there's times we have to take him on faith and say, God, even though this earthquake may look like it's my get-out-of-jail-free card, you may have me to be there and focused on a relationship. And then Steve also said this, love is a game-changer. And we're going to be expanding on that this morning. It, it's no surprise to me that our worship songs were all about God. I want my foundation to be your love. I want to reach out to others with your love and love, love, love. Why is that? Well, this morning we're going to be talking about elevating the conversation with love. All right, so this is something that God just, he put it on my heart this week. I was reading in Mark 4, and I saw something I've never read before. I mean, I've read it so many times. But you know how, like, when you read the scripture, something new pops out at you? Maybe, maybe it'll happen to you today, or maybe you'll be like, Greg, you never saw that? What? How could you not have known that? Maybe. We'll see. But Mark 4, if you've ever looked at the chapter, it's got three different parables in it. We're going to be talking about two of those parables this morning. So let's start this morning. Mark 4, verses 3 to 9. And this is the first parable. It says, Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. Since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Lord, we, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. We want to listen and we want to understand. So Holy Spirit, would you illuminate your word to us? Would you show us what it is that you have for each of us? Lord, maybe it's something I say today or maybe it's something that your spirit just speaks to our hearts. But Lord, we ask that we would all be touched by the word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I love how Jesus uses stories to get his point across, right? He always used stories. He always used parables. But But when he ends it with the line, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand, I kind of sit up a little bit differently and take notice. Like, why did you say that? Was there a reason why you said that? Because he doesn't say that all the time. But sometimes you read a parable and he says that, and it's like, 
I want to lean in. I want to listen a little closer. What is he saying? So in this particular parable, it's good news for us because the disciples didn't really get it. And, and after this, when, when the crowds had gone away, the disciples kind of go to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, like, could you fill us in? You're mentioning these soils. We don't really understand. What is it that you're talking about? So if you read a little further on in Mark 4, Jesus gives the explanation. So let's check out what he has to say, starting in verse 14. It says, The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they, didn't have, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, and they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. So what do we see? We see four different soils. We see the same seed, same bag of seed, but it's sprinkled on four different types of soils. So as any good scientist, I I love to take this and I want to put it in a chart so I can better understand it, all right? So bear with me, but I think this helps us see it. Right? The first type of seed is what? It's seed on a footpath. And Jesus said it represents those who hear only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Is that you? Is that me? Like we, we hear God's word and all of a sudden, man, that word just got snatched from us. Satan took it away. Why is that? I don't want to be like that. The second one was seed on rocky soil. It represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots... They fall away soon, and they have problems, and they're persecuted for believing God's word, and the seed dies. Are we like that? We're like, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then we, on Monday morning, a bill comes we can't afford to pay, and we're like, God, where are you? And we forget all about believing in Jesus, right? That happens sometimes. We, we receive it, but there's rocks in our soil. Seed fell, falls among thorns. That represents those of us who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things so that no fruit is produced. This worries me. It should worry you. Like, do we, do we allow things to come into our life to choke out the Word of God, to choke out what God is trying to do in our lives? And lastly, there was a seed that fell on good soil. It represents those who hear and accept God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as planted. Who wants to, be, who wants to have soil like that? I want the 30, I want the 60. Actually, no, you can have the 30 or the 60. I want the 100 fold, right? That's a return. Just imagine that, 100 times the seed. That's what happens when we have good soil. So, so many times I've read this passage and I've used it to locate myself and say, okay, where am I? Which, which, soil, which soil do I best represent? If, if I'm on the footpath, how, how do I get into the fertile? If, if there's rocks in my soil, what are those rocks, God? Help me get the rocks out of there so that, like, where do I want? I want to be the fertile soil, don't you? Right? What's the thorns? Chop down the thorn bush. Get it out of there. Spray it with, you know, thorn killer. Do whatever you have to do, but how do we get to be the good soil? And that's been my focus every time I've read this word, is to look at where am I? But now I want to tell you what I've never seen before for the dozens of times I've read this verse. 
and, and I asked a question that was a different question this time. And this is the question, who's the farmer? Do you remember who the farmer was? So that's where the story started, right? It said, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. And I always thought the farmer was God. But for some reason, I went back this week and I looked at it again and it's like, huh, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Who's supposed to take God's word to others? We are. We're the farmers. Oh my gosh. If I'm a farmer, now this opens up this parable in a way I've never seen it before. Because I don't know about you. I'm not a farmer. Maybe you are. Any farmers in here today? We're kind of in the city, so all right. Someone grew up on a farm maybe. If I'm a farmer... I'm going to stake out one end to the other. I'm going to have a plumb line. I'm going to drive straight, and I'm going to plant my seed right in the fertile soil, line after line after line, row after row. Am I going to waste my seed on a footpath? Heck no. Why would I want to do that? Am I going to put the seed in thorn bushes? No, put it in the, like that's what farmers do. But this isn't what this farmer does. This farmer, it's like he's got blindfolds on. I'm like, what is going on with this farmer? He's sowing seed on footpaths. He's sowing seed on rocky soil. He's sowing seed with thorn bushes. And he's sowing seed on fertile soil. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't at all. But see, this is a different kind of farmer. He's not planting ordinary seed. He's planting the word of God. The word of God that's living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword that cuts down in between the bone and the marrow, right? That's the word of God. So if the farmer is us, We're called to throw seed out on all soil types because this is what I saw that I've never seen before. See, I would say, oh, you look like fertile soil. I'm going to put seed into you. Oh, you know, not so much. You're not worthy of my seed. Oh, over here, you get my seed. You don't. And I start judging people and I start looking at the the cover on the book and judging what's inside the book. And, And so that's why we would want to plant the seed right in what we think is fertile soil. But you see, we don't see what God sees. We look on the outside. God sees the heart. And, and sometimes I've been called up short where I've like, God, I got no time for this person. I got no time for this person. I got no time for this person. All of a sudden I make time and bam, they come to the Lord. And I'm like, God, you use me despite me. Like I had the worst attitude and now this person came to know you. How does that happen? Because I was judging and I didn't realize that I was judging. I was, I was determining who's worthy of my time, who isn't worthy of my time. You know, you look like rocky soil. Sorry, can't, can't put any seed there. Oh, you look, wow, this is fertile soil. I'm going to put, fer- no, we don't do that. See, we don't know what God knows. It's God's word that we're spreading. So who are we to judge? Right? Who are we to look at someone else and say, because your sin is different than my sin, all of a sudden now I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to spread the word of God to you? Or, or because you look differently than I look? Like, that's not what God would have us do. So isn't it freeing to know? Just spread the word of God. Like, you don't have to be looking for the right soul. Just spread the word of God. Liberally, footpath, rocky soil, thorns, doesn't matter, fertile soil. God will take care of it. How cool is that? How cool is that? But now, this chapter goes on. The same parable goes on. And Jesus says in 21, then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine for everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Oh my gosh, there it is again. 
Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. What is he saying to us? All right, he's talking about our, our light. Now, we just talked about the seed. We're supposed to be spreading the seed. And now he goes right into your light should be put on a stand, not under a basket. Right? So how is that seed spread? It's spread by you and me. It's spread by how we live. And, and we have a choice in how we live. We have a, a choice that we can put our light on a stand for all to see, or we can kind of be like this and, and kind of put it under a basket. So, so let's talk about some of the ways that you or I might put our light under a basket, right? Would any of you say that you're embarrassed about your faith and, and you don't want others to know that you're a Christian? That's putting it under a basket if we're embarrassed, right? And, and I'll be honest with you, there's a time in my life where when I grew up as a, as a new believer in the 70s, right, bumper stickers were really in. You could put this bumper sticker on the back of your car and proclaim the, the gospel to everybody, right? You know why I never put a bumper sticker on the back of my car? Because I was afraid I'd cut somebody off and then I, it wouldn't represent the gospel well. I never thought, just don't cut people off anymore. No, no, just don't put the bumper sticker on my car, right? The little fish and that kind of stuff. Like, oh man, the way I drive, that's not going to be a good representation of the gospel. So, so why don't I just change and drive differently? Oh, that's, that's too hard. I don't know that I could do that. I mean, come on, just don't put... We're ashamed. We're ashamed because why? We're not living the way we're supposed to be living. And I'm the first one to admit it, your pastor. There we go, all right? But, but that's a basket. Maybe we're simply complacent, and it's someone else's job to share the word. That's a basket that we put ourselves under. Maybe we're not sharing the word because we're living in disobedience to God. Yeah, it's kind of hypocritical to share God's word when you're not living it, right? We, we all know that, but guess what? We probably all fall short in some way or another. It's when we're transparent and we're honest. Look, I don't do it all right myself, but this is what God's word. We can still share God's word. We don't have to let that be our basket. Or maybe, maybe we just want our own way. We want to do our own thing. God, I don't have time for you to share your word. No, it's, it's all about me, right? Those are all baskets. But there's a sobering word in here where it says in, in 22, for everything that's hidden will eventually be brought into the open and every secret will be brought to light. See, there's, there's times where I can so quickly call out the sin in someone else's life, but man, I don't ever want someone to call out the sin in my own life. And God's like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming for you because just the same way you judge, that same judgment will be used against you. So, so we all have issues in our lives. It doesn't give us any right to point the finger at someone else. And, and God is coming for what we're hiding under our basket because he wants us to be putting that lamp on a lampstand. So that's the first parable. Now we're going to look at the second parable. It goes together with the, the first one, and it's called the parable of growing seed. And this is found in Mark 4, just a couple verses later, 26. It says, Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters the seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of the wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. For the harvest time has come. Isn't it amazing that Jesus back-to-back parables on farmers, right? Jesus wasn't a farmer. He was a carpenter. But yet he's using this, this uh model to to show us something that okay who is it that plants the seed again it's the farmer but he's saying it's like the kingdom of god as we're planting seed that we're representing the kingdom of god we're putting it out onto all kinds of soils 
But now recognize this. Does the farmer cause that seed to grow? No, it's not. It's God that causes the seed to go. What? Like, God, you're big enough to cause your seed? I thought I had to be the one to convict everybody of their sin and tell them why they're doing the wrong thing and they need to come to Jesus, right? No, 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 no. I got it all wrong. My job is to do what? It's to, to freely put the seed out there, to freely bring the word of God to others with love, with unconditional love. Not with conditional love, with unconditional love. So now all of a sudden, I plant the seed. Well, is it up to me to make that seed grow? No, it's up to God to make that seed grow. Right? We, we sometimes want to take the work of the Holy Spirit where he's the one that, that invites, he's the one that draws, and we think that's our work, that we've got to coerce or we've got to convince or we've got to do whatever we've got to do to share the gospel. No, just simply spread the word of God with love. And you know what? There'll be something attractive in that, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the person, and he's the one that does the work. We don't do the work. Jesus said this in John twelve thirty two. And when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. So who does the drawing? Jesus does. It's not your job or my job to draw people. It's only our job to share the love of God, to share the word of God, to share the truth of who Jesus is. So let's look at the life of Jesus for a minute because there's something interesting that I found in his life as I started to look at this concept of of planting seed and how I can be judgmental in how I plant seed. And I can think, I only want to put my seed in the fertile ground. And God's saying, no, that's wrong. Put it on all types of soil. Let him be the decider of who's got fertile soil or not, right? We shouldn't be the decider. So, so Jesus, if I take a page out of the life of Jesus, did you know that in the New Testament, he was asked yes or no questions 25 different times? Isn't that crazy? Right? So, so you may say, well, what did he do? What did he do? Well, well, before I tell you what he did, I want to give you some examples of, of just two of the 25 times, right? So first time was in, in Mark 12. The Pharisees came to him and they said, Teacher, we know how honest you are. Sounds like they're buttering him up. And you're impartial and you don't play favorites and you teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Right? That's, that's a softball for Jesus, right? Should we pay him or shouldn't we? He could just answer it with a yes or a no. He doesn't answer it that way. Right? You look at in the are you, are you the Christ in Matthew 11. This is John the Baptist, his cousin. John the Baptist is in prison, and it says, well, John was in prison. He heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Okay, that's easy. This is my cousin, John. Hey, come on, you know me. You were there when I got baptized. You were there when the Holy Spirit came down and, and Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son and who I will please. Like, John, did you, did you forget that? Jesus could just very easily answer the question with a yes. But he doesn't. Right? So, so how many times do you think he answered with a yes or no? Out of those 25? Well, you're wrong. Four times. He answered with a yes or no. Three of them were during his trial. But I think the fact is this. There is many times he did not answer with a yes or no. Why? Why didn't he? So, so let's go back to the, should we pay taxes to Caesar? This is how Jesus answered it. 
He said, Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And his reply completely amazed them. Right? See, they're trying to trap him. If you support Rome right now, you're going to get all the Jews thinking, oh my gosh, Rome is persecuting us. Why are you supporting Rome? If you don't support Rome, now you're going to be in violation of the law. So, so he's trapped. But Jesus is never trapped. Right? He, he somehow gets out of it because he turns it. He, he starts off here and he moves them to, to a different location with his answer. Right? How did he answer John the Baptist? Jesus says to him, Go back and tell John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. So Jesus didn't even answer his own cousin with a yes or no answer. He kind of took John's question and he spoke to the heart of John's question, which was doubt. Right? And he said, John, this is what's going on. And you know, blessed are those who don't turn away. Jesus didn't condemn John. He didn't shame John. He loved John in an amazing way. So if we know that we're all servants of Jesus, right? And we know a servant can't be greater than the master. If Jesus got asked trap questions, guess what? You and I are going to be asked trap questions, right? That's the world that we live in. It's the world that Jesus lived in. So what do we do? What, what do we do when we're asked a trap question? Right? We're, I think we've probably all been asked trap questions before. The question I have for us is, can we trust God enough to bring people to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit be the one that convicts them? Right? See, so many times we try so hard. When someone says something about our God and we feel like it's our job to defend the truth and authenticity of the word and we start clubbing people with the word of God. No, what you're doing is wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You're going to hell. You know, repent because you're all... How does that win friends and influence people? How does it show the love of God for me to tell people you're going to hell? Why not tell them that no matter where you are, God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. And like Jesus, Jesus wants to get to know, he loves you so much. He wants a relationship with you. That will blow people's minds. But no, we club them with the word of God instead. So I came up with some, some of my own trap questions. You probably could add to this list, but I'm going to get really bold and really frank with you about some trap questions I've been asked. You tell me how I, I've done afterwards, if you like, or, or maybe you can share some, some that you've gotten. How about this for a trap? Is having sex before marriage a sin? I've been asked that question before. Now, some of you already answered it with a yes or no. Did Jesus ever answer? Would he answer with a yes or no? See, we're so quick to fall into the trap. That's the trap. That's why it's a trap question. You don't answer with a yes or no. Because we're trying to elevate the conversation with love, right? But I've been asked that question. How about, is worrying about tomorrow a sin? Is abortion a sin? Is being gay or lesbian a sin? What does the Bible have to say? You're my pastor. Give me an answer. I need a yes or no answer on that. Is losing my temper a sin? See, all of those, maybe we'd feel like, oh, I know what the Word of God says. I'm going to give you a yes or no right away. And you know what? As soon as I give you a yes or no, you either go away happy or you go away sad if I agree or disagree with you. But how have I shown you the love of Jesus with my yes or no? I, I really haven't. Because if, if I send you away and you're like this, you, you, I've missed an opportunity to share the gospel with you. 
And I think sometimes as the church, we get off topic. We, we fall into traps and we get off message. Paul said this, there's only one thing that matters. I desire to know nothing except Jesus Christ and what? And him crucified. Because he's like, there's only one thing. It's the power of the gospel to change lives. We don't change people. It's the gospel that changes. So, so Paul was like, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Paul, you're living in Corinthians. There's sex abounding. There's all kinds of grotesque things happening. Paul, call it out. Call it for sin. Defend the word of God, Paul. Thump the Bible at these people. And Paul's like, I only know the gospel. I'm going to show them Jesus Christ. I'm going to show them how much God loves them. I'm going to love them all unconditionally. How many times did Jesus go to dinner with sinners? Why would he do that? He could, have, he could have gone out with the religious leaders of, the, of the, the church and the temple and had dinner with them, but no, he chose to go with sinners. So, so, so why would it be any different for us? So what would it look like for us not to answer with a yes or no, but to elevate the question to a conversation? A conversation with love. A conversation where we could actually be like Jesus when, when the woman got brought before him that was found in adultery, did he say, stoner, that's what the word of God says, like, let her have it. No, he, he, Jesus did not want to give a yes or no answer to that. He said he was without sin, cast the first stone. And, and what happened? We know the story. Everybody started dropping their stones. Why? Because we've all got sin. It's just that because my sin looks differently than your sin, I think I can judge you for your sin. No, we're all sinners. So I don't need to call out your sin any more than I call out my, all, my sin. What I need to do is show you the gospel of Jesus Christ and show you that God loves you and that he wants a relationship with you. So now I want to get really practical. How would we do this in real life? Right? What, because isn't it so easy? These juicy trap questions, man, they, they just entice you to come in and to give a yes or no. And, and that's where we fall into the trap, but Jesus didn't fall into that trap. So, so how do we learn from him, and what would it look like for us to, to elevate a conversation? So, so maybe I get asked the question, do you think X, Y, Z is a sin? And how about if I answered like this? You know what, that's a really interesting question that you're asking me about that particular sin. But instead of, instead of focusing on that, how about I broaden it out and just look at what is the Bible? Do you know what the Bible has to say about sin in general? It says everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So, so like you're asking me about this one, but, but frankly, I've got sin. You've got, every one of us have sinned. And, and here's what it goes on to say. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. So now what's really at the heart of wanting to know, is this a sin or is that a sin? You, you want to know what's at the heart of it? It's they feel they're starting to feel the pain. Of, of whatever they're going through. Is what I'm doing sin? Is what I'm doing not sin? Like we all feel that pain. The fact is we're all sinners. So maybe I could ask him this question. How do we relate to a God whose standards are so unachievable? Right, and now I'm starting to get, I've turned that question from a yes or no to a conversation where I can actually start to talk to them about the love of Jesus Christ and why he came to this earth because he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for us to forgive us of our sin. Right? Or, or maybe take two. Someone asked me the same question. I could say this. Hey, it's really interesting that you'd ask me a question about that, this sin or that sin. But, but before I give you an answer, let me just tell you I know this about what the Bible has to say about sin. It says the wages of sin is death. So that means, no, you know, whether you got sin, I got sin, it's death. 
But here's the good news. The good news is there's a free gift of God as eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See what I did? I, I took them from that trap, yes or no, and I started to turn them. And then I could follow up and say something like this. What does it mean to you that such a perfect God still wants to be in relationship with imperfect beings such as you or me? Wow. Now I could actually start a conversation with them. Like how amazing would that be instead of going and falling into these traps over and over again? And man, the walls go up and the arms come out. I can't, I can't talk with you. We disagree. Blah, blah. And we focus so much on arguing and defending. God didn't call us to defend his word. He's well capable of defending his word. What did he call us to do? Put the seed on the footpath. Put the seed on the rocky soil. Put the seed on the thorns. Put the seed in the fertile ground. Guess what? He's the one that's responsible for the seed growing. We're not. We're not. We don't need to judge. We just need to love people, what? Unconditionally. Not with condition. Not, okay, you got that lifestyle. Sorry, I can't love you. I can, I can love you with that lifestyle. You got tattoos. You don't have, like, we come up with all of these barriers for why we can or can't love someone. God's like, love them all. L- love every different soil type. Spread the word of God to every different soil type. And, and what would it look like for us to do that? So I'm going to give you a, another practical way. And, and this is a trap I've seen. I, I don't get on social media often. I, I have Facebook. I've got Twitter. Please don't instant message me because I look at it like once a week or once a month, right? But, but I have it because there's times where people say, Greg, you need to go look at this conversation that's going on. And, and I'll look and like 140 different things are happening on this one post. And, and we got believers arguing with other believers and saying, this is a sin. No, it's not a sin. No, we should do this. No, we should not do that. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, it makes me sick. It makes me sick. How is that showing the love of Jesus Christ? Especially when people know that it's all believers in this, or believers and non-believers, but we're just shooting arrows and thumping Bibles at people. So I don't know if you went over to the Life Center, if those of you had to bring your kids over, but if you brought your kids over, did you smell something over there today? Like a skunk was, was busy and active somewhere in that neighborhood, right? And, and I walked into the Life Center this morning, and I was like overcome, like, can't even breathe. It smells so bad in here. So we actually called the fire department, right, just to make sure, is it really skunk? Is, it, is there something else going on? Because I just didn't want any, you know, we want to keep kids safe. So the fire department came, they tested everything. Yeah, it's a skunk. And they thanked us for calling. Like, it's, it's a good thing. But we're in prayer before service, and, and I'm praying, and, and it just comes to me. You know how putrid that smell was and how it just choked you? That's what it's like when you get into arguments about the word of God with non-believers or with believers. And, and you show people, you don't show them love. You just show them, bam, you're just accusing and, and condemning and shaming. And, and that's putrid to God. And I was just like, I started to weep in prayer saying, God, why does the church condemn? Why does the church shame? Like, we're all sinners. Maybe your sin is a little different than my sin or mine is different than yours, but, but does God love you differently than he loves me? Absolutely not. He loves us all equally. So what do I have to do when the questions come to turn it to a conversation and then elevate that conversation with love to the Father who is unconditionally loving us all and saying this is what the gospel has to say? Let's turn, because what's going to get people into heaven isn't the fact that they're sinless, because then none of us qualify, right? So I don't have to convince you that your sin is worse than my sin or your sin is better than my sin. It's not about 
what your sin looks like or my sin. What, what it's about is introducing people to a relationship with a loving father and then letting him grow the seed, letting him love and bring that person, love them to the truth of what his word is and who Jesus is, right? I just need to present the gospel. Then I can let the Holy Spirit do his job. I don't have to be the Holy Spirit, right? God frees us all up. He's like, you just spread the word. Spread the word freely, and now let me do the rest of it. You don't have to come. So if you get trapped with a question, if you see some juicy thing online, you're like, I got to give them the word. I got to defend them. Just pause, pause, and say, what would Jesus do? Jesus didn't answer with a yes or no most of the time. He elevated it. He turned it somehow. He, he started to, to bring forward a message with love. And, and I think if the church starts to do that, we're on topic. When, when we start to condemn this lifestyle or that sin or that addiction or that behavior, oh my gosh, we're getting off topic now. Let's point people to Jesus and let Jesus do the work that he's best at doing which is loving them unconditionally, and then he loves them to the truth. So what would it look like for us this week to elevate conversations in love? Wouldn't that be crazy? I think we'd be, we'd be modeling what Jesus has shown us. So in closing, we're called to plant seed everywhere. Just because your sin looks different than someone else's sin, you don't, you don't have a right to judge. I don't have a right to judge. We, we plant seed because you don't know Who's fertile ground and who isn't fertile ground? You may look at the cover and say, it's not worth my seed. Jesus said, don't, don't look at the cover. Plant seed everywhere because God may be wanting to use you and you don't even know it. So just be planting seed all the time. Who causes the seed to grow? God causes it to grow. Because what determines a, personal, a person's eternal security is not the achievement of sinlessness, but the establishment of a one-on-one relationship with God. Isn't that the truth? Right? I don't have to convince you or, or condemn you into being sinless because you'll never get there and neither will I. We're, we're no different in that regard. We're all sinners. But what's going to change someone's life is if I can introduce them to Jesus. That's the message. I want to show them the gospel of love. Right? I want Jesus to save them from their sin. And then Jesus' job is to cause that seed to grow. It's not my job to cause a seed to grow or your job. So how can we elevate conversations with love? Right? If, if you see a juicy post online and you want to jump in with the Word of God and defend the Word of God, maybe pause and say, is there a question I could ask at this point? Maybe some of the questions that we just asked earlier. Or, or could you say, hey, you know what? here's a question. If you'd like to talk about it more, private message me. Let's get a cup of coffee. Well, why do we think online communication is the best way to share the gospel? Like, show them the love of Jesus. Meet them. Buy them a cup of coffee. Have a phone call. Sometimes the best way to talk about these things isn't online and isn't in front of the whole world, right? Because we don't show the love of Jesus when we start getting into arguments. We don't show the love of Jesus when we're debating uh, this or that. And is this a sin? Is this not a sin? I, I think more I'd love to see, hey, Les, how, what, how would Jesus answer this? He wouldn't answer it with a yes or no at least 21 out of 25 times, right? He'd elevate the conversation with love. So, so now I want to ask, What is God saying to you and me? Because just like we read twice today, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Right? What what is God saying to you? What is he saying to us about how do we as a church stay on topic, on message, to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ instead of trying to condemn people for this way they live or that way they live? 
and usually it's different from the way we live, like we've got anything right. We, we don't. We're sinners too. So let's stand, let's stand together as we close in prayer. And let's ask God this question together. God, what are you saying to us? Thank you, Jesus. We just give you, we just pause now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I, I want to confess to you, Lord, the times when I haven't sown seed to every person that comes my way. Lord, Lord, I've judged. Lord, I, I've said this person is worth time, this person's not. Lord, I'm sorry for that, God. Would you forgive us all, Lord, for the times where maybe we've judged the cover? Lord, you look at the spirit, we, we look at the body, and we want to get the body in submission like it's going to be sinless. It'll never be sinless. Lord, you look at the Spirit and you want to see the Spirit have a relationship with you. So God, give us that same heart of love. Give us that same focus that you have, Jesus. Lord, for the times that we've fallen into the trap, whether to answer a yes or no in person or on social media or to Bible thump or to shame or condemn or whatever, God, we we tell you, Lord, we're sorry for that. Lord, I don't think that's what you would have done. You didn't condemn the adulterous woman, Lord. There there were so many people that came to you that that you associated with sinners, Lord. They were your friends. Lord, why do we say we'll associate with this one but not with that one? That's wrong. Forgive us, God. Lord, would you show us how, how unconditionally you love us, Lord? Let our hearts be filled with that kind of love that we could show that love to others, Jesus. That we could truly be your hands and feet, Lord. Your word says that they'll know we're Christians by our love for one another. Lord, help us to love in that way. That people would look at us and say, wow, there's something attractive about how you accept everyone and how you love everyone. And Lord, we can point them to you and we can point them to your gospel. So help us, God. Lord, help us to spread your message of truth, your message of love, your message of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray for your power for each one of us, Lord, that that we would resist the temptation to fall into the trap, God. Lord, help us to resist it. Help us to, to remember this message that we don't fall into these traps, but we elevate conversations, Lord, with love and, and uh, that you would use us, Lord. We offer ourselves up to you that you would use us, God. So I pray for each one. Fill them with your power. Fill them with your discernment. Fill them with your words of love and, and wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. If you want prayer for anything, please feel free to come forward. I'd love to pray with you.